All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast. You're Carter Thompson, your host, as always. Thanks for tuning in. We have our last edition of our NFL Team Needs AFC NFC East edition this episode. We are less than a week away. I think we're about five days away now from the NFL drafts. So we got to get these last eight teams in, and we will here on this episode. Round one of the NBA playoffs still rolling along, and we've got some just major injuries to two title contending teams, which kind of sucks. So we'll dive into those, see what that those implications, what the implications are for these two teams that kind of lost their two bigger stars on their team. Also, some, some other teams just missing their stars altogether for this playoffs to the start. Maybe they'll get them back in the upcoming games. We'll talk about that as the NBA playoffs roll along as well. And then we'll get to my final thoughts. Just a quick episode here on this episode of the final, final podcast, because then next week we've got the NFL draft with my mock draft episode. And, of course, I'll be doing a episode right after round one of the NFL draft as my uh, analysis and, and kind of just recapping or uh, my thoughts on how the first round of the NFL draft went. But today we got the AFC NFC East edition of NFL Team Needs, our last one, like I said, ending with some of the more polarizing teams in the league. We got the Cowboys and the Patriots today, and a team that made maybe some of the biggest moves this offseason with the Miami Dolphins. We'll talk about that. We'll start in the AFC East here, and we'll start with the Buffalo Bills, a team that a lot of people thought could have made the Super Bowl this past season. They've got a couple needs. They made one big splashy move this offseason as well, bringing in Von Miller on that huge Six-year, $120 million deal. I think we looked at the contract terms. It's more of like a three-year deal with some of that guaranteed money. But still, big move bringing in the two-time Super Bowl champ, Von Miller, to shore up that defensive line. He's going to be big. Hopefully he can stay healthy the whole season and be ready for the Bills come playoff time. But they brought him in. They brought in O.J. Howard, the tight end from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brought in Roger Saffold, an offensive lineman from the Tennessee Titans as well. They do lose a couple key guys in Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley's two wide receivers there, lose an offensive lineman in Daryl Williams as well. But like I think they've got uh, they brought in Jameson Crowder, a wide receiver from the New York Jets. They also have a rising star in Gabriel Davis at wide receiver. He had four touchdown catches, over 200 yards in that playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs. So they'll look like they'll be doing all right at wide receiver. They do have a couple needs in my opinion. They need another corner. To shore up that cornerback depth, we saw what happened. Depth, excuse me. <laughs> we saw what happened when Tredavious White went down for the Buffalo Bills in in the end of the regular season last year. He is one of the best corners and secondary players in all of the NFL. So they could use another guy back there with him coming off of an injury. Also, they just need to figure out that running back position. Devin Singletary is not really doing it. Um, I can't remember who their other running back is that they use sometimes with Singletary. But either way. Whatever they have at that running back position isn't really getting it done because their leading rusher is Josh Allen. And you can't have your quarterback taking that many hits and just being your leading rusher. It's just not going to work. You signed him to be your franchise quarterback. He is your franchise quarterback to that huge seven-year deal. I mean, I just don't think you want that guy taking that many hits. He's just not. It's just not going to last, him being able to, to take those kind of hits. So they got to figure out that running back position to hopefully get that running game going in this upcoming season. But other than that, they, like I said, this is the time. they got to put it all together now in the playoffs. Like I said, maybe depth at the cornerback and running back to spruce up that, that offensive weapons on this team. But they're ready to win. They just have to put it together in the playoffs. 
these additions for this draft is just icing on the cake. They have the foundation already set at a lot of these key positions. They have eight draft picks in this draft. They have their own first through fifth, and then I think they have like someone else's sixth or something as well along with that to make it eight instead of just seven picks for the seven rounds. But anyways, they just have a good opportunity to still find starters with their own picks that they have. They have I believe they have pick 25 or 26th in this first round. Maybe a guy like Trent McDuffie, the cornerback out of, out of Washington, considered a really safe corner if he could fall there. Or maybe his teammate Kyler Gordon, the corner out of Washington, the other corner out of Washington. One of those guys could be a nice pickup there at 25. If they want to be the team that takes a running back in the first round, they could at 25. I don't think anyone would blame them because, like I said, this team doesn't have a glaring hole or a glaring need like, wow, we need a number one pass rusher. We need a number one corner. We need a number one wide receiver. They don't necessarily have that. They need maybe a number two corner, maybe a number three wide receiver. You know, something like that is what this team kind of needs. So if they went and took the number one overall running back in this draft class, maybe a Brees Hall, maybe a Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State, I don't think anyone would blame them for doing that at the back end of the first round. But they just have a good opportunity with these eight picks to shore up this team, shore up the depth as well, and make a run at the Super Bowl for the next three to four years with Josh Allen leading the way. Not a lot of needs for this Bills. They're going to be one of the Super Bowl favorites, I think, going into the 2022 season. We'll move on to the Dolphins. Like I said, this is one of the teams that made some of the more splashy offseason moves this this past offseason, bringing in guys like Tyreek Hill, of course, trading away their first and second round picks, along with, I think, three other picks, like a fifth rounder and a next year fifth and sixth rounder. They brought in Tyreek Hill. They brought in also a cornerstone left tackle in Teron Armstead from the New Orleans Saints. That's a big move to shore up their offensive line with Tua Tagovailoa, they brought in Chase Edmonds at the running back spot, along with Raheem Mostert. So they're just—they've got like three guys in that backfield there that they can just rotate through with running backs between Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds, maybe as a receiving back. They got some pieces in that backfield there now. They also brought in a guy like Teddy Bridgewater to be the backup to Tua Tagovailoa. They lost guys like Will Fuller, Jacoby Brissett. That's okay with the with the other guys that they brought in, Jason McCourty in the secondary. They only have four picks in the NFL draft this year. They traded a lot of those away. They have the fewest in the NFL. Their first one comes in the third round at pick 102. But like I said, some of the biggest, flashiest moves in the offseason. So this team now has no excuses to not make the playoffs, even in a loaded AFC. No excuses for Tua Tagovailoa either. They brought in Tyreek Hill. They got offensive line help in Toronto Armstead. They got the offensive-minded head coach in Mike McDaniel leading the way. I mean, with so few picks, they're just looking to add any contributors they can possibly, maybe along the offensive and defensive line. you got to, to still protect Tua. They can still improve there and to get after the quarterbacks in this AFC. I mean, this team looks ready to get back in the playoffs and compete, but the AFC is loaded. It's not an excuse to not make the playoffs. It's just an observation that some teams, some good teams, aren't going to make it into the playoffs this, this, this upcoming season. Dolphins don't have an excuse not to make the playoffs. That's just something that they're going to have to work around in this loaded AFC. But it should, it is going to be a lot of fun. Only four draft picks in this upcoming draft. Their first one coming on day three with the 102nd pick. They don't have a top 100 pick. So they're just looking, what's the best available when we get to pick 102? 
what can we do to maybe protect Tua a little bit more? Like we've seen some of his injury history. What can we do to get maybe a pass rusher and just depth to get after the quarterbacks in this AFC? The Josh Allens, the Justin Herberts, the Patrick Mahomes, those guys, because they're going to be facing a lot of these teams, especially if they if they get all the way to the playoffs. All right, moving on then here, sticking in the AFC East. Oh, we have the New England Patriots, of course. Some big losses this offseason. They lost J.C. Jackson, maybe one of the top five cover corners in football. They lost him. He signs a huge five-year deal with the Los Angeles Chargers. Shaq Mason, a starting guard, he gets traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Kyle Van Noy, a leader at that linebacker position, no longer there. They do bring in Devontae Parker in a trade with the Miami Dolphins at wide receiver. He could possibly be their new number one wide receiver. Malcolm Butler they bring back at the cornerback spot as well. They still need help, I think, at that cornerback position. Something that they could do to replace him. I mean, they have eight picks. They have their own first through fourth picks, and then they have some more in the back end of this draft. But I think they have their first pick is the 21st pick in this draft. Something they could do, Andrew Booth Jr., the cornerback out of Clemson, could be a first-round target. Trent McDuffie, the guy that I just mentioned from for the Buffalo Bills, could be an option at 21 for the Patriots as well. He's Trent McDuffie, the corner out of out of Washington. I think he's, what, 5'11", 6 foot. He's by a lot of these draft scouts and evaluators, one of the safest picks in this year's draft. He could be one of those guys that's just a solid cornerback, does his job, maybe not the, the best corner in the NFL, but a consistent top 10, top 15 cover corner in the NFL year after year. That's what they think Trent McDuffie could be, not one of those. So like Derek Stingley, the cornerback from LSU, for example, could possibly be the number one shutdown cornerback in the NFL in two years. Also in two years could flame out with either injury problems or we've seen the inconsistencies with him. Trent McDuffie is one of those guys that they think is one of the safest picks in this draft, so he could be an option for the Patriots with their first-round pick as well, needing to replenish their cornerback position with losing J.C. Jackson. I mean, just a year ago, they also just traded away Stephon Gilmore, so they really need to replenish that cornerback position for the Patriots. Also, wide receiver. Could be an option to help out Mac Jones. Like I said, it's just Devontae Parker and then a bunch of other guys. I mean, we saw the, who he was throwing to, a lot of two tight end sets that they were going with as well, but he could use another weapon at wide receiver. Also, interior offensive lineman. Like I said, they traded away a starter in Shaq Mason. Got to be able to protect Mac Jones. He's not the scrambling type to get away from a lot of these pass rushers. Um, Zion Johnson is another option in the first round that we could see at pick 21 if they want to go that route. I mean, he's another one of those guys that everybody thinks this is a really safe pick. He could be just a solid 10-year starter at offensive guard, can kick out to tackle if you need him to in an emergency spot start. One of those safe picks where he's not he's, – he, when, when they say safe, they think he could be a reliable starting offensive lineman for 10 years, not bust out, be one of those flame-out kind of guys in, in two, three years. That's what they think with, with Zion Johnson as well. My personal opinion with the Patriots, though, they need to shore up some of these other positions like corner, get that offensive line right as well. Maybe they need another pass rusher. Um, but I think they might be taking a slight step back. And like I said, I just mentioned it with the Dolphins. This is a loaded AFC. Now they lost their offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels. He goes to Las Vegas. Bill Belichick is going to be uh, calling the plays on offense. It should be interesting to see how that works 
with Mac Jones in his second season now with no more Josh McDaniels. I could see them taking a slight step back. They don't necessarily have the star power that a lot of these other AFC teams have, like the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Bills, the Chargers. I mean, the Dolphins have some firepower now as well. There's a lot. I mean, the Bengals, oh my goodness, the team that just made the Super Bowl in the AFC. I mean, I'm not. it's hard to bet against Bill Belichick, but he doesn't have the star power that these other teams are working with. We'll see what the Patriots are able to do in this upcoming draft and then in the 2022 season. I mean, this AFC is just absolutely loaded. The Broncos, I didn't even mention, with Russell Wilson. I mean, wow, it's going to be a lot of fun watching this AFC conference just bash each other in the regular season. All right, and then last team in the AFC East, the Jets. They just have... They have needs all across their roster. Wide receiver, pass rusher, cornerback, could use offensive linemen as well. They lost Jameson Crowder and Marcus May this offseason. They also brought they brought in Lanklin Tomlinson, an offensive guard from the San Francisco 49ers, CJ Uzama, the tight end leader from the Cincinnati Bengals. That was a nice pickup, I thought. They have nine draft picks. They have two first-round draft picks. They have the fourth overall pick and the tenth overall pick. I could see them going one of any four directions with these two first-round picks. They need pass rush help. So if one of these, one of the top three guys, Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan, Trayvon Walker out of Georgia, or Kavion Thibodeau out of Oregon, if any one of them falls to either four or ten, I think one of them will easily fall to four. That's up to them if they want to reach there for, say, it's Kavion Thibodeau, if they want to reach for him at four there. I think they should take one of them if they decide. But then with that other first-round pick, they got to decide. Do they need a shutdown corner? They could grab Ahmad Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati. Or they could get a new number one wide receiver between the likes of Garrett Wilson, Drake London, or Jamison Williams out of Alabama. One thing that would really clarify this for the Jets is Debo Samuel. We mentioned this last week. I mentioned this last week on the episode about the wide receiver's these young wide receivers that don't have that fifth-year option, they want to get paid after seeing Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams get paid. Debo Samuel, now he's requested a trade from the 49ers. It doesn't look like he wants a big deal from them. He just looks like he wants to get out of San Francisco, maybe doesn't like how he's being used as a hybrid running back and wide receiver, doesn't like all the hits that he's taking. Could he be an option for the New York Jets? I mean, could Mike LaFleur and Robert Sala, two former assistants in San Francisco, could they make it work to bring him to New York? Would it be, I mean, the Jets have two early second-round picks. They have the 35th and the 38th overall pick. Could those two picks, along with maybe a fourth and a fifth tacked on, be enough to get Debo Samuel into New York? If that's the case, then I think it really clarifies what the Jets can do with that fourth and tenth overall pick. I don't think they want to trade either the fourth or the tenth overall pick for Debo Samuel. That seems like a lot considering Devontae Adams went for pick 22 and pick 53. And Tyreek Hill went for pick 29 and pick, what was it, maybe 60? 29 and 51 or something like that. I don't think Debo Samuel is going to go for the 10th overall pick after just one huge breakout season. But could the Jets entice San Francisco with the 35th and 38th overall pick? and then maybe an extra fourth or fifth round pick added on to that. Because then if they can get Debo Samuel, then what they can do is take your pass rusher, take Sauce Gardner, the shutdown corner potential, 
shutdown corner out of Cincinnati, take him at pick four, then take your pass rusher, whether it's Trayvon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau, or maybe even Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State, take one of those guys at pick 10, then the Jets have had a really nice offseason if they can get that. If they don't get Debo Samuel, though, then they have to decide if it's too early to take one of the top, maybe the first wide receiver off the board with that 10th overall pick, or can they wait until pick 35 or 38 in the second round to take a guy like a Sky Moore, a Christian Watson, a Jahan Dotson? Could one of those guys be available at pick 35 and 38? Could that be their next number one wide receiver, or do they want one of these top prospects in Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jameson Williams, Chris Olave? Their choice. They get their pick of the litter at pick 10. That's what they have to do. That's what they have to decide. It's a lot for the Jets to decide, and I'm sure they're they're narrowing it down with less than a week to go. But they need to get some Zach Wilson some help. I mean, right now his his number one receivers are what? Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. Not necessarily the top flight wide receiver duo that you want having going into the season, especially for a second-year quarterback who needs some more help. But, I mean, I, I would say wide receiver all the way for them with one of those top two picks. But like I said, they have some needs at premium positions on their roster, and they have the ability to fill them at picks 4 and 10. Now maybe they trade down from 10, pick up an extra first or second rounder then, and then maybe they can take a, a wide receiver if maybe a team like Pittsburgh needs to trade up for a quarterback or something like that. We'll see, but that they got a lot of decisions ahead of them coming in this upcoming draft. Like I said, they have nine draft picks, two firsts, two second-round picks. They have fourth and tenth overall, and then they have 35th and 38th overall, so they have some really nice draft capital there to work with, maybe if they want to move around on the board as well. The Jets are going to be one of those teams that I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do in this upcoming draft cycle. All right. Moving on then to the NFC East, NFC East, Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys. They have nine picks in this upcoming draft, their own first through fourth. Some team needs that I see, offensive line, big time, in my opinion. Ed Rusher, after losing out on Randy Gregory, who signed with the Denver Broncos. And then wide receiver, actually, as well. They lost Amari Cooper. He got traded for cap purposes to the Cleveland Browns. Randy Gregory, of course signs with the Denver Broncos. Lyle Collins, their starting right tackle. He signs with Cincinnati Bengals. He's going to be their starting right tackle now. So for me, I think it's long overdue that the Cowboys start investing in that offensive line again. Tyrone Smith is great. He's one of the top five left tackles probably in the game right now still. But he just seems to miss every other game. And then their offensive line has just shuffled around a bunch. Like I said, they lost the right tackle. They don't have as much depth as they used to. I mean, it just it used to maybe two, three years ago. It seemed like when a when a guy like Tyrone Smith went down, they could plug in a Lyle Collins at left tackle, and then all of a sudden they'd have a new right tackle that you're like, well, how do you take this guy out of the lineup? They don't have that kind of depth anymore. They need to build it back up. The center could be a possibly upgraded position as well. I mean, no one just seems to fear the Cowboys' run game. And while that can be partially and maybe largely blamed on Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, I think the offensive line could use some young, healthy, reliable upgrades and starters to this. This is an aging offensive line. I think that's where they need to go. They could go with a guy like Tyler Linderbaum, the center 
from Iowa if they wanted. He could plug in at one of the guard spots as well. Zion Johnson is a guy I already mentioned. He could be a really safe option for the Dallas Cowboys. Or Kenyon Green, the offensive lineman out of Texas A&M. He's a guy that's played all five positions, I believe. So the versatility would just be very, it's just immensely impactful for the Cowboys who could use him at a guard spot that could plug him in at right tackle now since Lyle Collins is nowhere is no longer there. Those are some options I think that they could use for that first round. They also need another wide receiver. Wouldn't be out of the question with Amari Cooper gone. It's just CeeDee Lamb. I mean, Michael Gallup likely is going to be injured to start the season. They did re-sign him, but he is going to probably be injured to start the season, so they could use another wide receiver as well. And then Ed Rusher. They just it's going to be interesting what they decide to do with Micah Parsons, who is former reigning, he's actually the reigning defensive rookie of the year. He's going to be in the conversation for defensive player of the year in years to come. But do they want him more in that middle linebacker hybrid role? Do they want him more hand on the ground, rushing the passer, outside linebacker role? He's just been used all over the place this past season. If they figure out what they want to do with him, maybe they don't need another pass rusher. Maybe he's going to be their new pass rusher, like full-time pass rusher alongside Demarcus Lawrence. And then maybe they just need a new inside linebacker or something like that. So they have to figure out, I mean, they can keep moving him around too, but then they just, they're going to need some depth at those other positions as well. So some holes to fill on this offense for the Dallas Cowboys. Got to figure out what they're doing with some of their key players on defense, but some holes to fill on the offensive side to get this offense back to being one of the number one scoring offenses in the NFL. Plugging along, chugging along here in the NFC East. Philadelphia Eagles, defense needs some help in my opinion. They need cornerback help, defensive line linebacker to stop the run, maybe a wide receiver for the third straight year if they want. They lost Brandon Brooks, a starting offensive lineman, to free agency. I'm sorry, to retirement. This past year, Hassan Ridgeway as well they lost. They bring in Hassan Reddick, an edge rusher there to rush the passer. They have 11 picks in the draft this year. They have two first-rounders. Remember, they had three, but then they traded with the Saints. They have another first-round pick next year now as well. So two first this year, two first next year. They have the 15th and 18th overall pick. I think they need to shore up this defense. The run defense was atrocious. So a run stopper up front or a middle linebacker, with one of these two first-round picks in Devin Lloyd or Nicobe Dean, maybe a guy like Jordan Davis can help stop the bleeding with Fletcher Cox. I mean, Fletcher Cox is, is still one of the top defensive linemen, defensive tackles in the NFL. Like Aaron Donald is clear-cut number one, but Fletcher Cox could be number two, can make an easy case for him as number two, but he needs some help along that defensive front. Maybe a Jordan Davis from Georgia could be an option, but maybe they decide to help with our run defense, then you go with the middle linebacker. It's not something the Eagles normally do. But maybe we see a Devin Lloyd or Nakobe Dean taken there. Then they also need some help at that other cornerback to pair with Darius Slay. Or the option with that other first-round pick, do they really want to go back to the wide receiver well and take their third first-round receiver in three years? So it was Jalen Rager two years ago. Last year it was Devontae Smith. Do they go with another wide receiver this year. I mean, maybe Jalen Rager is not their answer as their wide receiver two on this team. So maybe a Jamison Williams, Drake London, Chris Olave could be a better option for Jalen Hurts to work with there. Eagles have some options. They could also move up. They could move down with this 15 and 18 pick. 
they have some options what they want to do. But man, it's a lot of people might not want to deal with the Eagles and, and Howie Roseman after he kind of uh, just fleeced the New Orleans Saints into giving him their first round pick next year. Like I said, though, I think the Saints got a second first round pick this year so they can move up, grab a quarterback. But either way, Eagles, back to the Eagles, they need to shore up this defense, the run defense, and they need also some more help at cornerback on the opposite side of Darius Slay. Washington Commanders then, they lost some big names. Brandon Sheriff, the offensive guard that went to the Jacksonville Jaguars on a big five-year deal. Landon Collins at safety. Matt Ioannidis, a defensive lineman rotational piece that's big for them. They did bring in their big flashy move that we saw, Carson Wentz. He came in. He's going to replace Taylor Heineke. They also brought in Andrew Norwell, an offensive guard from the Jaguars, so they kind of swapped Sheriff for Norwell. Not the same since Sheriff is one of the top guards, but either way, they have some help there. I think they've already upgraded this offense. Personally, the commanders did with Carson Wentz over Taylor Heineke. I think Wentz is going is I mean, he gets a bad rap for how he ended the season, which is fine. I mean, you, you got to finish the entire 17-game season, and there's also some possibility that we've heard, I mean, because they had hard knocks there, that there was some... Um, just tension between Carson Wentz and some of these some of the other players and coaches on this team but either way I think the commanders got a nice upgrade at quarterback with Wentz if their defense stays healthy Chase Young coming back one of the top pass rushers in this league it can get back to being one of the best in the business but if a guy like Kyle Al- Kyle Hamilton excuse me falls to them at 11 the safety out of Notre Dame this guy He's been all over the draft boards recently. I mean, he's tested poorly in terms of his speed at the Combine, but he's still one of the most gifted players that these draft evaluators have seen in a while, especially coming from the safety position. So you're not sure if he could go maybe as high as second overall to the Detroit Lions, or he could fall out of the top 10. And the the Washington Commanders now, not the Washington football team anymore, and of course not the, the old name, but the Washington Commanders now, They have six picks in this draft, their own first overall pick with the 11th overall. If a guy like Kyle Hamilton falls to them at 11, I think it may be too hard for them to pass up with Landon Collins, their safety, moving on, and he's gone. But otherwise, if Kyle Hamilton is not there at 11, a receiver to help out Terry McLaurin could be the route that Washington needs to go. Then Carson Wentz has a guy's like... Logan Thomas at tight end, Terry McLaurin, maybe a guy like Drake London at wide receiver, and then he's also got the running backs in the backfield of Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick. Then you got some offensive weapons for Carson Wentz to work with here in Washington. But if Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame, is there, I just can't see Ron Rivera and the Washington Commanders passing up on him and then just making this defense even scarier. I mean, with that front four that they have, adding in, Kyle Hamilton to that secondary would be a really, really intriguing piece to watch for the entire season and watch how how the commanders go about attacking the NFC East. So I think it's either Kyle Hamilton at pick 11 for the commanders or one of the wide receivers if Hamilton is already gone. And then, all right, our last team here for our NFL team needs, the New York Giants. They need some help along the front lines, offensive and defensive sides of the ball. Offensive line, Ed Rusher also could use a new tight end. They lost a guy. They lost both of their tight ends, Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph. Um, 
But going back to the offensive and defensive line, they have nine draft picks, two first-round picks, the fifth and the seventh overall pick. I think the Giants really want to move out of these top two, out of one of these two top ten picks. So say like a team wants to get ahead of the Carolina Panthers to take their quarterback. Maybe, maybe for example, the New Orleans Saints want to move up to the fifth overall pick to take their quarterback. The Giants, I think, would happily take pick six, take picks sixteen and nineteen to move out of that fifth spot. Then they still have a top ten pick with that seventh overall spot. Pick up two mid first round picks. But either way, let's say, excuse me, let's say they can't move out of those two picks at fifth and seventh overall. Hopefully, one of the two top offensive tackles can fall to them at five or seven. Evan Neal, Iki Aquanu out of North Dakota State, maybe one of those two guys. They need help on that offensive line. With Andrew Thomas at left tackle, they really, really need an upgrade at right tackle. If one of those two guys is there, I think they pounce. And then with their other pick, if one of the top three or four edge rushers, like I mentioned, it'll be Aiden Hutchinson, Kavion Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, maybe Jermaine Johnson. If one of those guys there falls to pick seven, I think that's who they take with that seventh overall pick. They can grab, and then they just love their two picks in this draft. Difference makers at premium positions need help to shore up that offensive and defensive line. Really good start then, I think, to the new regimen in New York for Joe Shane and Brian Dayball. I don't. I think they both said... Since it's a new regime, I think they're going to give Daniel Jones one more year, maybe go to a quarterback next year if it doesn't pan out. But they got to be able to protect him. Hopefully, Saquon Barkley can stay healthy. We'll see. Giants are going to be really interesting. I think that fifth overall pick to get ahead of the Carolina Panthers is going to be a highly coveted draft spot for a team that needs a quarterback. If they like a guy so much, they're like, no, this is the only quarterback we want, then you got to get ahead of the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons at pick eight. So we'll see what the Giants do with their two top 10 picks. All right, that is it for the NFL team needs. We got through all of them. Five days until the NFL draft. We cut it a little close to the wire this year, but that's all right. We got through all of them. Like I said, next week we'll do my NFL mock draft episode, and then we'll be on the draft on Thursday, April 28th. I can't wait. Uh, Of course, I've just been reading everything, and of course, it's just way too much. Who cares at this point? We're just... Just draft the players is what I'm waiting for, but I just can't stop reading all the what-ifs. I don't know why I torture myself with what if this guy landed here, what if this guy falls to him, what if this guy gets paired with this. I just I don't know why I do it. It's so much fun, though. I can't wait for the draft coming up in less than a week. All right, let's move on then to the NBA playoffs as we are rolling along in round one. We have had some major injuries to start this first round of the playoffs, and even before the playoffs, which has been a bummer to these really exciting playoff matchups. Recently, Chris Middleton and Devin Booker are the latest to leave their teams with injuries, both getting injured in Game 2, and then both teams losing subsequent Game 2s. I mean, the Bucks lost Game 2 to the Bulls. The Phoenix Suns lost Game 2 to the Pelicans. Both now rebounded very nicely in Game 3 to win and go up 2-1. to so the Bucks up two to one on the Bulls. Suns up two to one on the Pelicans. Bucks absolutely blow out the Bulls by thirty points in Chicago. So I mean, how do both teams kind of overcome these injuries to make it out of the first round? You saw it with the Bucks. It is going to be a huge team contribution. They just played with so much urgency 
like if they didn't win game three, they're like, oh my gosh, the series is over. That's what they played like in game three. Giannis didn't have to even go for 30. He didn't have to go for 20 points. I believe he had 18 points, nine rebounds, seven assists. You saw guys like Grayson Allen, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton just knocking down threes. That's what these guys are going to have to do. These guys are going to get a lot more shots. Chris Middleton takes up about 15 to 20 shots a game. Those shots are now going to be spread around to these shooters. You saw Drew Holiday and Wes Matthews playing defense on DeMar DeRozan that he's probably never seen before. Drew Holiday is one of the top, maybe if not the top, two-way guard defender in the NBA. We didn't see it in Game 2 when DeRozan went off for 41 for the Bulls. But now we saw it here in Game 3 in what this Bucks defense can look like. That's what they're going to have to rely on to get out of this first round. I believe Chris Middleton had an MCL sprain. Hopefully, I mean, the, the timeline for that, they said, is about three to four weeks. So that could be well into round two as well, which could be a matchup with the Boston Celtics. It could be a matchup with the Brooklyn Nets if they make it out of round two or out of round one against the Celtics as well. It doesn't get easier, of course, if they're able to make it out of round one. So they're going to have to do what they can in this one to get past the Bulls. And then we'll see if they can get past them and then see what their test would be in round two. Same for the Suns. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton stepped up big without Devin Booker in a close one against the Pelicans in New Orleans. I think you're just going to see a lot of Chris Paul closing these games in the fourth quarter. He had 19 points in game three to close out the the game and win it for the Phoenix Suns. DeAndre Ayton is a really fast starter. When Dev, I mean, Devin Booker is a fast starter. He, I bet you he's one of the top in the league in first quarter points. DeAndre Ayton, when there's no Devin Booker, he's a fast starter as well. If he gets off to 15 points, 10 points in the first quarter, that's usually a good sign for the Phoenix Suns. But like I said, these teams have to play with urgency without their stars. Now, it's, I think it's different for the Phoenix Suns losing Devin Booker than it is for the Bucks losing Chris Middleton. I think Devin Booker is the best player on the Suns, but they have a really good one-two punch in terms of Devin Booker's 1A, Chris Paul is 1B as best players on the team, whereas it's a clear Giannis is the best player on the Bucks. Chris Middleton is is the second best player, maybe 2A and 2B with Drew Holiday. So the Bucks aren't losing their best player, but they're losing, obviously, one of their big three in their players. So both of these teams, though, need to play with urgency to get out of the first round. We saw it from the Bucks big time. They out-hustled, out-rebounded, just out-muscled the Chicago Bulls in Game 3. Can they do it in Game 4? And, win, and just go up 3-1 in this series on the Bulls. We'll see. The Suns, they're just they're just going to have to make it a team effort, and I think Chris Paul it will close it out for you in the fourth quarter. One of the most craftiest, smartest players in the NBA. He can close out these games against a really young New Orleans Pelicans team. Other injuries, Luka Doncic, of course, we've mentioned. He's missed the first three games of this series, and yet the Dallas Mavericks are still up 2-1 to one on the Utah Jazz. They are playing today. It's Saturday, April 23rd. They are playing game four today. Luka Doncic is going to be back. He's going to play. That was just announced this morning. I was reading that right before I started this episode. He's going to play, which in my opinion means it's over for the Utah Jazz if they're already down 2-1, which I think is going to be really cool to see Luka Doncic make it out of the first round. I mean, you were for, you guys are for, you're not forgetting maybe, but here's a reminder. Luka Doncic averages like 35 points a game in the playoffs, in the two playoff series that he's had, and that's when he's guarded by Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, two of the better wing defenders in the NBA. Kawhi Leonard, a two-time defensive player of the year. 
I mean, imagine what he's going to be able to put up when he's not being guarded by Kawhi Leonard. It's just incredible what we might be able to see, and then I can't wait to see him in the second round not guarded by Kawhi Leonard again. So hopefully Luka Doncic comes back healthy today in Game 4, and we'll see what the Dallas Mavericks are able to do. Ben Simmons, point guard for the Brooklyn Nets in that James Harden deal, he's likely going to play in Game 4 for the Brooklyn Nets, which is going to be on Monday for them, I believe. The Nets and the Celtics are playing Game 3 tonight also, April 23rd on Saturday. So Ben Simmons, not Game 3 for the Nets, Game 4 likely for him. But Robert Williams, the center, one of those guys that was, I believe, top 5 in Defensive Player of the Year voting for the Celtics, he's likely going to return for Game 3. And we saw the defense, if you didn't watch Game 2, the Celtics defense on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, that was an absolute masterpiece. I mean, Kevin Durant is one of the best scorers in NBA history, and he just looks so frustrated. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that to him the rest of the series, but he had like 23 points, and I believe he was 4 of 17. Most of his points came from the free throw line, and that's okay. You'll take that. If you're if you're the Celtics, that means you're being aggressive. You are just hounding Kevin Durant all over the place, but man, that was an impressive display of team defense, not just individual defense. They were double-teaming. Kevin Durant just jumping his passing lanes when they double-teamed him. That was an impressive display from the Boston Celtics. We'll see if they can keep that up now that the series switches to Brooklyn for Game 3. Other, like, just huge names not in these playoffs with their teams. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. for the Denver Nuggets. Zion Williamson hasn't suited up all year for the Pelicans. Lonzo Ball out for the Chicago Bulls. Scotty Barnes. He just won Rookie of the Year for the Toronto Raptors. He hasn't been able to play yet as well. I mean, not even to mention we're missing we're missing huge name superstars like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Anthony Davis, but that's on their own account, not for, not for injuries, that they're not in the playoffs. But, man, it's just a bummer not seeing some of these guys with their teams in the playoffs not being able to play. Chris Middleton, Devin Booker, the latest to join that list. Other big news across the first round of the NBA playoffs, the Memphis Grizzlies go up 2-1 on the Minnesota Timberwolves after coming back not from one, but two 20-point deficits in Game 3. This could just be a backbreaker for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, I don't know how you rebound from something like that, where you were up 20, the Grizzlies cut the lead down to, I think, two. Then you go up like 23 again later in the game, and the Grizzlies are able to come back from that and then win by like seven points. That has just got to be so devastating. I don't know. We'll see what this does to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think their next game is on Sunday. But, man, that has got to be one of the most difficult things to come back from when you give up not one but two 20-point leads in the same game. That's just incredibly hard to fathom, and it happened. And the Memphis Grizzlies go up 2-1, and now they just have all the swagger back on their side. It's just insane watching that game. We'll see how they respond, but the Memphis Grizzlies up 2-1 in that series. The Miami Heat up 2-1 on the Atlanta Hawks after Trey Young hit the game-winning shot with like four seconds left last night on Friday to put that series kind of back into competition for them. They were in danger of going down 3-0. I mean, the 76ers and the Golden State Warriors, they're both up 3-0 in their respective series. Is Nikola Jokic about to be swept in round one after he's possibly going to win his second of back-to-back MVPs? 
wouldn't be a great look. But like I said, he's missing some superstar not superstars, he's missing some all-stars on his team in Jamal Murray and possibly in, in Michael Porter Jr. But still, not a good look to not even get one win. But these Golden State Warriors are a really good team. So that's kind of our update on round one of the NBA playoffs. Hopefully some of these injuries can get these guys back sooner rather than later. Chris Middleton, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic on the way back, Ben Simmons, Robert Williams on the way back as well. Hopefully uh, Middleton and Booker can join them soon. All right, final thought on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Just a quick one. I just wanted to mention this because this is really big. Jay Wright retires from Villanova at the age of 60 years old. He has two national championships. And just what, also, what a great coach. I mean, I had all the love for Villanova, always one of the popular teams, and, and Jay Wright was a reason for that, all class, of course. But when you think about this, Coach K retired this year, Jay Wright retired this year, Roy Williams the North Carolina head coach for many years, retired last season. I mean, this is 10 national championships between these three coaches, and they've all stepped away in 12 months' time. It's just big names, just big-time coaching names moving on in the last year. It's incredible what we're losing in college basketball, but I just needed to mention that Jay Wright retires from Villanova. I think they already have their successor in place. For the next coach, and I, I thought it, it's just one of those. It seems like one of those programs when you got a guy like a Jay Wright, Roy Williams. We saw it with North Carolina making the national championship this past year. Coach K, they've built up these programs. I think they're going to be fine without these guys. But you're losing legends in the game, in the coaching game, from these big time programs. Just worth a mention there. But Jay Wright retires from Villanova this past week at 60 years old, still young in the coaching world with two national championships. Congratulations to him. And then, all right, final, final thought then on this episode of the Final Final Podcast, my personal mock draft. I've been teasing it and talking about it for the past probably like four episodes. Coming next week, will there be a surprise at pick number one for me? We shall see. I think it's a little bit different than what you've been seeing in a lot of your mock drafts, but I'll give that to you next week as well. I'll also predict who I think does and does not get traded on draft night or leading up to the draft during the week. Guys like Debo Samuel and Jimmy Garoppolo from the 49ers. Baker Mayfield, will he be traded on draft night leading up to draft night? A.J. Brown, wide receiver for the Titans. D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin. Some of these big-name wide receivers possibly on the block wanting these big paydays. We'll see. I'll tell you who I think gets traded, who I don't think gets traded. Also, I'll predict who I think moves up or down in the draft on that episode all on the mock draft podcast episode next week make sure to tune in thanks for tuning in on this episode of the final final podcast make sure to stay safe out there as always you're listening to the final final